Welcome to Pantry Raid, the podcast where we talk about how to make more food and less waste one ingredient at a time. I'm your host, Hannah Messenger. I'm a professional food photographer, food writer, and people feeder. And nothing makes me happier than being in a kitchen, cleaning out and organizing the fridge and pantry. So much so that I turned it into a game on my Instagram stories every Monday where I hope you will join me. My handle is HMMessenger. That's M-E-S-S-I-N-G-E-R. So the game is where you tell me what odds and ends you have in your kitchen and I tell you what I would make with them. And that's how I decide what ingredient we're going to talk about on the podcast. It's often things that you, the listeners, the people playing Pantry Raid commonly have. So new year, new schedule. We still play Pantry Raid every Monday. And starting today, the podcast will come out every other week for the next three months. And then we'll conclude season one and hopefully someone will give me some money to make season two. In the meantime, if you would like to show your support for Pantry Raid Season 1, we are paying for the entire thing through Patreon, which is kind of like Kickstarter, where you can give as little or as much as you want, and the more you give, the more cool stuff you get, with the very top thing being I come to your house and do a real-life Pantry Raid and make you dinner and hopefully don't get murdered by a stranger. Um, So if you are interested in that and not murdering me, you should go to patreon.com slash hmmessenger. Okay, enough business. It is time to party. This week, we are talking about everyone's favorite ingredient, cheese. And I know you're probably thinking, why do we need an episode about cheese? We know what to do with it. You put it on Triscuits and microwave them and it's delicious. And yes, you do. And it is. But in my opinion, there are three different ways to cook with cheese and melting cheddar on Triscuits is only one of them. My guest this week is Kathleen Cotter of The Bloomy Rind. She's one of our only independent cheesemongers here in Nashville, and you have almost definitely eaten her cheese at one of the restaurants she works with. Marsh House, Bastion, Lachlan Table, Nikki's Coal-Fired Pizza, Folk, Rolf and Daughters, or you may have bought some of her selections from Porter Road Butcher. We were at a party this fall and I introduced her to my friend Matt and Matt was like, okay, so you're a cheesemonger. Will you explain to me what those delicious, crunchy, almost salty things in aged cheddar are? And Kathleen was like, hell yeah. So Kathleen, will you explain that to us now? Yes. So they are in fact commonly tyrosine crystals. So it's a little loosely, uh, it's, it would be described as a calcified protein or amino acid. Definitely not a microbiologist. So um, I would refer you if you want to dig a little deeper. There's a fantastic website called the Cheese Science Toolkit that goes full deep dive into this if you want to get super nerdy. Just to warn you, if you are an information junkie like I am, you may go down a very deep rabbit hole on that website about how those crystals are only found in one other place on Earth, and that's the bottom of the ocean. And you may, like me, draw these deep conclusions that perhaps that's what we ate 
millions and billions of years ago when we were little sea amoebas and loving cheese and the things that grow in it is perhaps the most primal thing there is. So I think about why we love cheese so much in that to me, it's almost captured sunshine. So stay with me here. So the grasses and plants turn sunshine into energy. The ruminant, a cow, a goat, a sheep, eats those greens, turns it, thanks to their magical four stomachs, into milk. And then a lovely farmer turns the milk into cheese. So within a day, you've eaten sunshine. Wow, that's really beautiful. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay, so category one, cheeses that melt. You put them in stuff, you top things with them, you dip things into them. <laughs> um, we'll start by talking about the lower end, like I said, Velveeta and American cheese. And then kind of the more standard things that I think most of us as home cooks are used to working with. You've got mozzarella, Monterey Jack, some types of cheddar. On the higher end, we're talking things like Fontina, Gruyere, and Raclette, which if you guys don't watch Instagram videos of cheese, like what are you even doing with your life? Go search the hashtag Raclette right now, please. There's a lot of research about why we like cheese, and it's all so fascinating. But we're going to go back to a very basic place to start, which is the place we all probably, as Americans, learn to love cheese, and that's Velveeta. I've heard many stories, and I'm sure you have too, about macaroni and cheese competitions and all the different kinds of cheese that goes into the different entries and then the one that wins almost always has Velveeta in it. <laughs> and I mean, it's good. I'm not going to lie. It's really good. And Kathleen, I wanted to ask you about what you like to mix with Velveeta. What makes a nice texture and flavor in a macaroni and cheese or a grilled cheese? So I would add, I would think about it as sort of adding some cheeses that each have different flavor profiles or characteristics. For example, something in the Alpine category. So when we say Alpine, that's typically uh, Gruyere, Raclette, something that has that, again, uh, nuttiness. Um, typically, there's a little bit of a funky edge to it, but it also a lot of times has a little uh, like tropical, almost pineapple-y sweetness in there. Uh, and then even just like a nice uh, aged cheddar that's good and sharp to add that punch to it. So that kind of rounds out, because Velveeta, I think we like a lot because of the texture. It's really hard to get that like super smooth, melty texture. So when you can add some other cheeses that uh, add a little depth, I think it makes for a really nice rounded out dish that's not so one note. Mm -hmm. There's actually a recipe on my website for no bechamel mac and cheese, and you get that creaminess from mixing cheese into sour cream, but because it doesn't have that good like chemical stableness of Velveeta, if you leave it in the oven for two minutes too long, the Gruyere breaks. Gotcha. So it's 
It's really easy. It's an easy recipe until it's not. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want that recipe, my website is hmmessenger. That's M-E-S-S-I-N-G-E-R dot com. And with this type of cheese, I think you really have one of two goals. You either want it to get really ooey gooey or you want it to brown and be really bubbly and tempting. Or both, like raclette. And Kathleen, will you just tell us a little bit about what raclette is and why it's so good? (laughs) Yes. So uh, raclette is itself both a cheese and the name of a dish made with that cheese. So traditionally, they're large round wheels. uh, They're cut in half. There's a heating element that is put over and close to the cheese, and it heats it up just on that surface layer, and it gets gooey and browned and caramelized and bubbly. And then uh, you take a knife and you scrape down that top surface, melty, brown, gooey bit of cheese onto a plate that traditionally uh, would have potatoes boiled. You could roast them too. A little bit of charcuterie, something pickled. So you kind of hit on all of those elements. Now it's fun to play with that. And you could think about doing it on French fries. I've even seen it done on um, potato chips for a quick version. If yes, you don't have salt. full roasted, potato, roasted potatoes handy. Um, I think it would be fun to do... Um, do like a potato bread and then do a little charcuterie and pickle and melt the cheese on it. So you can kind of play with those elements and think of that as your source and then kind of build that, those profiles and textures together. A newer thing I learned to do with melty cheese recently was I was at this party where my friend Brian was making burritos. He is going to be on the podcast later in this season to talk about a surprise because we haven't decided (laughs) what it is yet. But he was making burritos and he put cheese down on a griddle, then put the actual tortilla on top of that to heat up. So the cheese melted and browned a little bit and stuck to the burrito. But then he rolled the burrito up so that that was on the inside. And it it kind of blew my mind. (laughs) I was like, I'm doing that every time I make a burrito now. The final dish we're going to talk about in this category is lasagna because like croquettes, it is a great clean out the fridge dish, especially if you have leftover vegetables. So many different things can go into it as long as you know the basic parameters of how to not fail at it, which is what I'm here for. Not here to make you into award-winning chefs. I'm here to help you not fail. (laughs) Uh, And the biggest mistake I see people making with lasagna is too much liquid. They use too much sauce. They don't squeeze the liquid out of their vegetables if they're using fresh ones or frozen ones. And I think the different kinds of cheese you use can factor into that as well. And normally... I'm against pre-shredded cheese. There are a lot of reasons to hate pre-shredded <laughs> cheese, but lasagna is one of the places where I totally use it without shame. And Kathleen, I'd like for you to talk a little bit just about your ideal cheeses to put into lasagna. Ricotta, fresh ricotta, mozzarella. And if 
I'm, I'm with you, like generally pre-shredded frowny face, but um, sometimes uh, in, in a case like lasagna, it would work and or I would work with it. And uh, or you could look for a low moisture. Uh, sometimes you can find balls of fresh mozzarella that are not packed in water. They're just like vacuum sealed. So I think that would work as well. You just have to obviously cut it, um, cut it up. And then uh, I love like a, a grated parm or something on the top just to help get a little crispiness on that top layer. So, And you were telling me earlier that you make your own ricotta. Why do you do that? And how does that compare to a store-bought ricotta? I just think the flavor, you just get like this beautiful, fresh, milky flavor with a little bit of tang. I Yeah, I have big problems with store-bought ricotta. Um some of them are almost soupy and other ones, it's it's like, did you take almond meal and mix milk <laughs> into it? The texture of it is so weird. I can't handle it. So it's something, an adventure for a cold, rainy day when yeah. you're stuck inside. Ricotta adventures. <laughs> Category two, which for our purposes, I am calling finishing cheeses, which once again, please remember that is not a perfect name. It's just... A cooking working title. And I'm calling them finishing cheeses because they're things that you more or less use to add salt. Uh, we're talking about things like pecorino, parmesan, cotija, uh, some kinds of good salty blue cheese, feta, uh, things like that that are generally pretty firm and you want in big pieces throughout a dish. I think y'all might honestly be very sick of hearing me say anytime someone tells me they have vegetables and cheese, I'm like, oh, well, roast the vegetables and make, you know, make a warm salad and put the cheese on top. But the cheese isn't there to be melty or be warm. It's there to be cold and salty and um, contrast against soft roasted vegetables. It's all about texture and shape with this kind of cheese. So, Let's talk about the one that we're most familiar with, Parmesan. Absolutely. So this is a great staple to have in the cheese drawer. It holds up really well. Get a nice chunk of Parmigiano Reggiano, which is the, the true name protected, only made in a specific area under specific guidelines uh, from Italy. It has amazing flavor, salt, that crystalline texture that we were talking about. Um, I grate it on everything. I think it's fun too to shave it sometimes so you get a little more surface area, so you taste it even more so on your tongue. Adds a little more texture. So if you're putting a shaved parm on a salad or a pasta dish, it adds actually a little texture in addition to that beautiful salt and nuttiness and crystally crunch. If y'all thought we were going to have a podcast without an ADD moment, you were so wrong. I heard you say uh, surface area and how it hits your tongue. And it reminded me of um, a couple years ago. I I love cold fried chicken. Um, they make a cold fried chicken sandwich at Main Street Meats in Chattanooga. And I mean, just for weeks afterwards, I was like, why is that so insanely good? And finally, someone, I want to say it was my friend Joey, who is the chef at Haythorn here in Nashville, told me it's because the fat is cold and 
it melts across your tongue. So it's coming into more and longer contact with your tongue, which amplifies the flavor. And I think that's a really important point to make with finishing cheeses, as we're calling them, that the shape matters, that a shave of Parmesan is very different than grating it on a microplane where it's it's totally going to melt and stick to whatever it's on. Whereas a shave of it, a big, beautiful, I mean, it almost looks like a ribbon, is going to stay totally whole and intact. Finishing cheese, it's not only a thing I use on top of things. It also, like feta, I think is a good example of how it would be inside of something. Feta inside of spanakopita, inside of a frittata, it stays whole and you want it to be like that to get little pings of saltiness and texture throughout. But going back to parm, that brings us to this week's Don't Buy This! Don't buy pre-grated Parmesan. Kathleen, why not? (laughs) (laughs) So I, so it's just so much, it's so easy to have the real thing super freshly grated and you'll get better flavor. As I said, a chunk of uh, good Parmigiano Reggiano holds up well in your fridge. So you just need a little microplane grater, grate away or shave and you have um, the freshest possible version of it instead of something that was grated who knows how long ago, possibly with some preservatives to keep it from clumping together and all that sadness. We want happy cheese. Cheese is sunshine. (laughs) How do you store your Parmesan? So I would suggest you could wrap it in wax paper and then put it in a baggie if you're trying to stay away from plastics like a little glass Pyrex uh, food storage. So you want it, it's it's a kind of a balance of um, breathing but not drying out. So you want a little air to circulate around it so you don't get moisture build up and then mold. And um, But you don't want it to be able to totally de- like dehydrate. All right, one last question about Parmesan. Say you're being very irresponsible and you wrap it incorrectly and it goes in your fridge and the whole thing totally dries out and you don't want to throw it out because you paid money for it, can you put that whole thing in stock or is it only the rind that can go in stock? You could put the whole thing in. Uh, Typically the rinds are done because it was like a a waste or byproduct um, because you don't, it's really hard. So you don't typically eat the rind of a parm, of a Reggiano. Mm-hmm. So you would grate and use what you were going to eat from the inside. And then you have this rind. So if you add it to a soup stock, um, then you get those beautiful flavors. But if you have a little extra cheese in your soup stock, who's mad at that? Yeah. Not me. <laughs> The third way I like to use cheese, and absolutely my favorite way, is as the main event. Like, you would serve a steak, and then everything else would be the side dish, except it's cheese and not a steak. And there are very special kinds of cheese for that. I mostly recommend cheeses that don't melt, and there are a lot more cheeses like that than you think. Uh, One of the best pantry raid entries I've ever gotten and have ever gotten to answer. I think I say that all the time, but they're all so good. You guys do such a good job. It just said, 
queso fresco and green onions. And I was like, oh my God, yes, you should cut the queso fresco into big chunks, pan fry it and make a chimichurri to put on top of it. Like I would eat that for dinner every night. It sounds so salty and delicious. And also I would side note, put olives in the chimichurri. All chimichurri (laughs) should have olives. And I can't say the kind that I like. Not, I can't say, I can't pronounce it. I'm Michael Scott. I can't pronounce it. It's Castavella. No, you said, yes. Castelvetrano. Thank you. It's close. I've only been trying to learn to say that for four years. I'll get there one day. Other cheeses that don't melt, uh, halloumi, bread cheese. What is bread cheese again? I just learned about this today. Yeah, so it is um, our American take on a Finnish cheese called Justo. Uh, So it's J-U-U-S-T-O, and that's a shortened version of the full name, but effectively it means bread cheese. So the cheese, of a new, um, newly made cheese is pressed and actually baked. So get, you get a caramelized surface on it. And then to eat it, you just heat it up either in a pan or even the microwave. And the result is it tastes like a grilled cheese without the bread. It's just buttery. It's got that caramelization on it. Uh, it even squeaks a little bit like a fresh cheese curd. It's just a snacky delight. So another cheese that you eat totally on its own like that is, um, well, it's a dish called saganaki, and much like raclette, it's named after the dish itself that it's served in. But you take a Greek cheese that doesn't melt like halloumi, and you pour ouzo on it, and you set it on fire. <laughs> so if anyone out there is looking for a party trick, it was my grandmother, my yaya's best one. I highly I, recommend it. <laughs> I feel like there should be like a liability disclaimer. <laughs> Don't sue me for setting your house on fire. There are, of course, a lot of other more safe things you can do with Greek cheeses. Uh, My favorite, of course, is feta. I really like the sheep's milk feta that is imported and comes in brine. I think the other kinds just taste really chalky and dried out. And it's bland. Yeah. That's just annoying. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's sad. No one wants not, sad cheese. Not sunshine cheese. cheese. <laughs> um, but I also like that that kind comes in full blocks because one of the coolest things you can do with feta is, once again, pan fry it and then you just kind of build a Greek salad up around it like you would garnish a steak with a pat of butter except you're throwing on olives and cucumbers and maybe some red onions and it's very – If you're like me and you like salads, but you don't find them satisfying, it's a great solution because the feta is really nice and hearty. Probably the most versatile of all the non-melting cheeses, for me anyway, is halloumi. Not that it is bland, but it certainly lends itself to a really wide array of different flavors. You can pan fry it totally plain. It doesn't need salt or anything. You can add something to the pan. Like I like adding balsamic vinegar and it gives it a little sweetness. And then you just top it with whatever. Right. I would think if you had back to like leftover vegetables in the, that you were trying to use up, that mm-hmm. kind of thing would kind of, you can kind of season it in a lot of different directions. I think, in fact, I just had a dish last night at a newer Nashville restaurant called Lyra. And, um, 
chef prepared it with nigella and sesame spice, uh, date syrup, and butternut vinegar. So these are not super commonplace uh, items in most pantries, at least not mine. But my takeaway from it was this beautiful uh, buildup of both sweet and savory profiles. Plus, you get that caramelized surface of the halloumi from the pan frying, which just makes everything better. So my take on that at home is you would just pan fry the halloumi and then you could top it with honey. And I think you all know how I feel about quick pickles. Mm-hmm. I, yes. I would quick pickle shaved or grated butternut squash, raw butternut squash, and top it with sesame seeds and sesame oil. So you would have that like nutty and cheesy, sweet and tangy, everything all all at once. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's always a good goal to have when you're making something really rich, like a cheese as your main focus in a dish is you want to add things that are also sweet or tart to balance it out. Absolutely. It kind of cuts the the fat and the mm-hmm. richness. Yeah. Just like when you're making a cheese board, you add fruit or olives and nuts. Same idea. Not that complicated. Just eat cheese for dinner. Done. <laughs> I'll be right over. So whatever... Whatever you you add to it, uh, just keep cooking and experimenting, trying different cheeses. Ask your cheesemonger for suggestions and substitutions to play with. Um, cheese, uh, we love some cheese snobbery sometimes, but at the end of the day, it's just a beautiful, delicious food, and you should eat it and enjoy it. Don't overthink no. it, like we're doing right now on this <laughs> stupid take. It's cheese. It's going to be great. Use it up. Don't let it go bad. Do pantry raid. Make more food and less waste. Kathleen, thank you again and happy new year. Thanks for having me. This episode was written by me, Hannah Messenger, and produced by Tony Gonzalez. Please join me every Monday on my Instagram at HMMessenger, that's M-E-S-S-I-N-G-E-R, when we play Pantry Raid the game. You tell me what odds and ends you have in your kitchen, and I tell you what I would make with them. Don't forget, another new episode comes out two weeks from today, and we'll be talking about winter citrus because tis the season. Until then, I hope you make more food and less waste with some cheese.